And, you know, I see a lot of similarities between the NBA Finals and in particular Golden State and, and, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. They know how to win. They know how to win championships. Um, this core has won three titles. And uh, as Mike mentioned, Steph Curry went 0 for 9 in three-pointers in Game 5, ending his streak of hitting at least one three-pointer in 233 straight games. So he didn't, he didn't hit a three-pointer, yet the team won. All I have to say is that equals bad news for Boston. <laughs> yeah. Opulent Inventory, our proud partners here on the show. From iPhones to MacBooks to Apple TV to Apple Watches to trade-ins and much more, now you can have the Apple product of your dreams. Visit Opulent Inventory on opulentinventory.com and on Instagram, my guy Nash and Gardy are the very best in the game to provide you the Apple product of your dreams. Now, let's get back to the show. Inside of our WNSC radio here in Orlando, Florida. Myself, my right partner, Michael Gray, the Sevy Podcast Radio Show, live and streaming here, only heard on WNSC radio. We are heard in 18 different platforms worldwide. This is episode season four, episode 16 of our great show. Um, if you guys haven't heard about us, uh, definitely tune in. We're in 18 different platforms worldwide in Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, definitely leave us a review or a rating if you don't do so. Yet again, I am obliged to assume that you're a hater. But nevertheless, uh, we are going to go up north about 2,000 miles up north. My, where my ride partner, Michael Gray, and a special guest that we have today, Larry Berger, is with us. Fellas, how you guys doing? Uh, all, all good, man. I'm doing very well. How you doing, Larry? Doing great, guys. I'm so happy to be with you guys this uh, this afternoon. Absolutely, absolutely there as well. So, um, you know, Larry Berger, you are our, our featured guest for today. And um, you, you got a very cool and interesting story um, that, that, that I followed through. Now, obviously, we met through Ross, which obviously is a good guy, good guy of mine. Um, he's doing a lot of good things out there in the New York area. And, um, you know, t- share with us a little bit about your story, because it seems like you've been all around the sports industry for the last 25 plus years. Share with us how you got started and, and to where you are today. Absolutely. And I would second that about Ross. He's, he's a great man. Um, the journey, as, as you put it, it's, it's been long, filled with um, a lot of ups, some downs, um, but an incredible experience being in sports media for about 30 years now. Um, it really started as a kid collecting baseball cards, watching baseball 
games and and football games and hockey games um, and basketball games on, on television and really developing that passion, that love for for sports and really thinking about how am I going to monetize? I didn't use the word monetize when, when I was when I was 10 or 12, but how am I going to make money um, as a career? Um, utilizing uh, my passion for sports, my knowledge of sports. So when I was about uh, 15, 16 years old, I was in a supermarket and saw a free newspaper that was given out called the Sports Journal. And I, I leafed through the newspaper and it said that they were looking for writers. And I said to myself, yeah, I'm 15, 16, but, you know, they, they wouldn't know. You know, I'll answer the ad. Back in those days, there was no Facebook or, you know, uh, any, anything where they could really do research on how old you were. So I, I submitted a writing sample. They said, yes, absolutely. It was it was unpaid. Um, and I got that position and started writing. From there, I pushed the envelope to look to see if I could get press credentials to cover a New Jersey Devils game. And the Devils were, were my favorite team growing up. And again, they didn't know how old I was or anything along those lines. They just knew I represented the sports journal. So they provided me with credentials. I had this incredible opportunity to interview my sports idols at the time, including Kirk Muller, Greg Adams, Joe Sorella, so many great players um, you know, with the New Jersey Devils that meant so much to me. And I created content um, on, on that. And then uh, parlayed those credentials into getting credentials for the Baseball Hall of Fame. And there I got to interview Pee Wee Reese and um, Ernie, Ernie Banks and some really legendary uh, athletes at the age of 16 or 17 years old. I also got credentials to cover the Hall of Fame game in Cooperstown and was on the field, you know, again with my sports idols, Don Mattingly, Ricky Henderson, Dave Winfield. The uh, Yankees played the 1987 Hall of Fame game um, against the Braves, and I saw Dale Murphy as well, and it was an incredible experience. So I tried to parlay that, uh, continue the, the momentum. I ended up getting into college, the university at Albany, um, under the special talent program in journalism and became the sports director of the college radio station there, I got to uh, acquire credentials to cover Islanders, Devils, Nets games. Um, after, uh, Actually, during college, I did internships at MSG Network and WWOR TV Channel 9. And then once I graduated college, it was a wake-up call with what I thought was really great experience to a job at first. I ended up working for Abraham and Strauss, which is like a Macy's. And uh, I was a salesperson and uh, really not a very good one at that. But somebody there knew somebody at the NBA and was able to get me a job interview there. And I got the job and uh, spent 16 years working for the NBA, most recently as a senior producer for live and post-produced programs. And it was an incredible, incredible experience being able to travel the country annually covering the finals and all-star and the draft and hall of fame inductions interviewing uh the greatest names in in sports history like will chamberlain and michael jordan and lebron james and garnett and shaq and and, and all of those a truly tremendous experience uh left there in 2008 
worked at MSG Varsity, where I created a documentary on then high school basketball star Carl Anthony Towns. And then uh, after four years there, uh, I went on to USA Today Sports, where I currently help lead the sports video team as a senior producer. So wow. that's it in a nutshell. That's my sports journey. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. That that's 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 quite a bit of a resume. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, definitely, Larry. Talk to me about. It seemed like you had growing up as far on your journey. You talked about the different fields and the different aspects that you've you know worked in within the sports media field. Just talk about the verse. How important it is to be versatile in this business and being able to you know uh, sharpen your tools in every every aspect. Vitally important. I, I can't stress that enough. You bring up a great point, Mike. Um, when I started in 1993. A producer basically was out in the field, asked interview questions, and when it was out there with a camera person, an audio technician, and then we took the videotape, uh, we did a rough cut in, in, in an uh, edit room, and then really passed it off to online editors, audio sweeteners, graphics people, you know, all kinds of different people touched the video feature before it went out. That was then. Now really one person is in charge of doing all these different tasks. And if you, if you're not up on the latest technology and the, and, and, and final cut and Adobe premiere and after effects and all these different things, um, including shooting and editing and writing, if you're not up on all these different facets of the industry, you're going to be left behind. So Mike, you bring up a great point. You really have to sharpen your skills and know pretty much Everything there is to know, um, let's say, uh, about video production, but also be available to do a podcast, be available to, you know, do a video interview, write an article. So many different come into play nowadays, and you really need to know know them all. Yeah, definitely there for sure. You talk about some of the iconic names that you've been around throughout your journey. You talk about um, Wayne Gretzky, uh, you know. Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and, and some of these guys. Talk to me about the experience of, of, of being around some of those iconic figures and also maybe some, some of the things that you learned from them that you think is interesting. was incredible, you know, to be around these athletes. Michael Jordan, I interviewed him when I was 25 years old in Chicago at their media day. I had a one-on-one -on -one interview with him. With, you know, in front of 500 media members. It was just me and him sitting next to each other. Um, that was the first and one of the very few times I've been in awe of the athlete that I've um, interviewed. Another time was with USA Today Sports when I got a chance twice to interview Wayne Gretzky. And what I took away from that was just how humble he was. He always talked about the team, especially when he played for the Kings. He shared the praise with Kelly Rudy and Tony Granato and, Ma and Marty McSorley and Luke Robitaille and Rob Blake. And, and he really, you know, shared the glory. And, and it was genuine. You know, he called Gordie Howe the greatest player that ever played. And I asked him, Wayne, you had nine six more points than the second closest player in NBA history, yet you call Gordy the best. And he said he was. And, um, you know, upon meeting him for the first time, he said he was, quote, bigger and better and nicer than I could have ever imagined. And, and, and that's what blew me away about Wayne Gretzky, about how humble he was, about how kind he was. And, um, 
you know, respectful he was for those that, that, that uh, he played with and, um, and that, that the Jordan and Gretzky interviews to me stand out, but I really did learn a lot from all the different athletes. And, you know, I've interviewed, you know, well over a thousand athletes in, in, in my years. And I've learned a lot. I've learned from their perspective, what works, what doesn't work, what grows their brand, what maybe diminishes their brand. And I've taken all of that knowledge and have taken notes, um, you know, over the past few decades. And I provide media training for elite amateur athletes, um, teaching them about ways to grow their personal brands. And, and just one, one example that, that, I, that I like to stress is showing respect and knowledge of those who came before you, you know, in your sport, on your team, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, it's, it's really been a tremendous learning experience, not only as a video in the sports field, but also learning about, about life and about relationships, how to treat people, how to be treated. It's really been a tremendous learning experience the past 30 years. Yeah, definitely there for sure. Go ahead, Mike. Larry, talk, Larry, talk, talk to me about the trials and tribulations of um, just – uh, you said you've been in this business for 25 plus years. The the, the journey and um, the colleagues that you have, uh, you talk, you, you interviewed Michael Jordan, like you said, Wayne Gretzky. Talk to me about some of the big time sportscasters or sports analysts you looked up to that you got a chance to maybe interview or talk to, and you were like in, like in all the conversation that really something something really sparked in that in that thought. Well, you know, it, it's it's a great question. Um, I grew up watching and listening to Marv Albert, Phil Rizzuto, who used to call uh, Yankees games on uh, WPI 11. But really the announcer that stood out most to me was uh, a gentleman by the name of Larry Hirsch. He announced for the Devils on WMCA radio. And we didn't have cable back in the day. We didn't have cable television. So I was glued to the radio, listening to Larry Hirsch broadcast games for the Devils, a team that was subpar, putting it nicely. They didn't win many games, but he was so excitable and so into the game. Um, it really, the excitement that he generated really came through the speakers. And I, I remember going to numerous Devils games and stopping by Section 108 and watching him announce. He would stand on the desk and, and scream every time the Devils would score a goal. And getting to speak to him was, was truly remarkable. Fast forward about 30 years. Um, this, is a, this is a couple of years back. I, I, I was curious about whatever happened to Larry Hirsch. So, of course, with the Internet being the Internet, I tracked him down to Florida and he, he was 70 plus years old and I cold called him and, and I wanted to tell him what he meant, especially, in, you know, as a child who um, loved sports and loved the devils. Two hours later, <laughs> we wrapped up our con and he was so moved by the fact that I was able to locate him and had this these memories of him calling specific games and, and, and his specific um, live calls on goals against Terry Kleisinger, who was playing goalie for the Rangers in some obscure game back in 1986. And it was truly remarkable uh, to speak with him. And I got so much out of it. And, and I like to think that, that, that he, he got a lot out of that conversation as well. Mm. Definitely. That's dope. 
Definitely there for sure. Um, talk to me about somebody that's, you know, wanting to get into this industry. Um, there's a lot of young journalists, a lot of undergrads, maybe graduate students that are in um, broadcasting journalism degrees or media sports management. Um, talk, what would be a piece of advice that you would want to share with them, given from what you've learned back then to how the industry is now? Have the decision makers become emotionally vested in your success and start early. This industry is about relationships. That's really what it's about. You have to be good. You don't have to be the best. You have to be good. But the key is relationships and be like being likable and also being lucky. But you have to put yourself in a position to receive yeah. the yeah. luck. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the best way to do that is for at, at a young age to try to get the decision makers become emotionally vested in your success. Much easier said than done. I'll give you one example. Um, I am the father of a six-year-old son, and he loves sports. And we went to a Jets game. A- after the Jets game, we ran into uh, Mike McCagnin, the general manager of the New York Jets, right outside the stadium. So I took a picture of the two of them, my son and Mike McCagnin, um, printed out the picture and wrote Mike McCagnin a nice letter explaining who I was. I've been you know, in the sports industry for X amount of years, and my son um, was so appreciative, and I was appreciative that you took the time to take this picture. Would you mind signing it for him? So, of course, he did that, and the goal was to – um, start at an early age to develop um, some form of a relationship. You know, so let's say in a few months, my son has to do a book report. Maybe it's a little young, but maybe he has to do a, a book report. You know, calling upon him, you know, to, to, to be interviewed for this book report. So basically, and, and, and to keep up with him, you know, throughout his evolution of his school year. And, you know, um, that, that, that's the thinking in terms of creating a, a, a bond, a relationship um, that maybe you can look upon for advice or um, uh, a recommendation or partnership or job shadowing down the line. But you have to be creative because the number of applicants far at, uh, you know is, is, is a far greater number than the number of opportunities. So you have to be creative. You have to be likable. Um, it's it's all about relationships, and um, you you really need to um, you know get cracking on it. it. It's never too early to start uh, because it's not easy, and, and there is no definitive way. But uh, I think if you um, go along those paths and understand that 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 relationships is really going to seal the deal at some point, I think you're you're on the right path. Definitely there for sure. Um, let's talk about a, a sport that you seem to, to really love since since uh, since a young age, and that's the NHL. Um, not sure that you know how uh, what's going on or if you've been keeping up with it, but we've got a team that is is looking to to be the next great dynasty, and that's the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, that's about what twenty miles west here of Orlando. Um, a team that's trying to three peat, and then you've got an up and rising team that is hungry in, in the mountains out there in Colorado with the Avalanche. 
Um, I don't know how much you've been following up with the NHL playoffs, but what's your initial thoughts about what we're going to see in this seven game tomorrow night? I, I like Tampa Bay. I, I remember Tampa Bay back in its earliest years, led by Brian Bradley and Chris Contos and coached by Terry Crisp. That's a long time ago. And they, they had some lean years, uh, three, re, three really tough seasons to start their franchise and, and now have three cups on their resume with a fourth uh, within their reach. I like Tampa Bay. I, I mean, I watched them. I watched a significant part of the Rangers series. John Cooper is, seems to be extremely cool behind the bench. Kucherov, Palat, Hedman, Stamkos is unbelievable. Yeah. Stamkos, whenever you need something to happen, he makes it happen. And, and Vasilevsky is, of, of course, uh, tremendous between the pipes. In general, I, I love teams that have experienced victory in the past. I, I, they're battle-tested. Um, they know how to win, win a Stanley Cup. They know how to win the big game, like you mentioned. They're on the cusp of, of winning um, three straight uh, titles. Um, I like them. But then you look at the, at the Avs. <laughs> Kale McCarr is unbelievable an absolutely unbelievable defenseman i've you know been hearing comparisons to bobby Orr, uh, maybe the best defenseman since bobby Orr. and um you know what is he 23 years old now he scored 28 goals he's a great two-way two-way player um he it's going to be a tremendous stanley cup final but again the um uh, Tampa Bay knows what it's like to win to win the Stanley Cup. They're going for three straight. Um, you can't discount that that type of experience. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, big, yeah, big, big, big time. It was, uh, this is going to be a fun matchup because we know what Tampa Bay brings to the table. We know how experienced they are. We know how uh, how explosive they are. But this Avalanche team is very explosive offensively. Throughout they, the playoff run, they've been a very high scoring bunch. Now they've been streaky as well. There's been moments when they. You know, uh, uh, when they fell short because of their inability to score, but that's but but, that, but that's the sport. They have the ability to get off and get goals at a very high clip. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how the physicality and the defensive prowess of Tampa Bay matches up against that high scoring uh, prowess of the Colorado Avalanche. It's going to be a fun matchup. Yeah, no, no doubt. But also, the Avs haven't played since June sixth. And if we learned anything from the Rangers Tampa Bay series, mm. the Rangers were exhausted. You know, they they really, um, you know, were 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 done. You know, in terms of um, you know Feminine. how much they had, how much gas they had left in the tank. So if you're looking for something positive for the Avs, they've been sitting home for a long while, while Tampa Bay is as was in a grueling series with the Rangers. Larry, Larry, can I ask you something? If in hockey, does the, the rest in between series, does that hold more weight than it does in other sports as far as bad, like basketball and you know, things, things like that? In a series in hockey, does it hold more weight? I think so. I, okay. I, I mean, the amount of physicality, the amount of hits that, that, that the players take, I, I, I would forego momentum for rest. I think rest is is significantly more important than you know than than having played a couple of days earlier or the day before or something along those lines. I would definitely say advantage as far as that's concerned. Okay. Definitely, definitely there for sure. We go from the ice to the NBA finals. And I'm gonna start off with you, Mike. Um obviously the world knows that I am a beloved Boston Celtics <laughs> fan. And uh, you know, we were looking good after three games, but now after five, um seems like 
the the championship DNA of the champ of the Golden State Warriors is starting to take over, and and you know it's tough when you got Steph Curry that you have to pay all your attention to, but maybe an unsung hero might win the MVP, Mike, and that's Andrew Wiggins, who's been special throughout this series. He's by far been their second best player, and don't look now, Golden State, who haven't been you know, playing well in this series or up 3-2 with a chance to close it out on on, on Thursday in Boston. What what have you seen, Mike, and, and, and what's your thoughts uh, going to these last couple games? What I've seen is that championship pedigree, uh, the term the, with the Warriors, I've seen that being broadened over, over these last couple of games. When, when you think about the championship pedigree willing, willing this team to this point, it's been much more evident in these last two games than ever before um, uh, throughout this entire playoff run. When you think about what the Boston Celtics have done all uh, through the first three rounds, their physicality and their 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 relentlessness really wear down the Bucks, the Heat, uh, the Nets. It's not it's not working with this team because this team knows how to wear you down with their depth. This is why this Warriors team to me is very scary because. Outside of in the pre KD era, they had depth, but I don't know if they had this much sneaky depth that they can throw in there and, and versatility on both sides because Andrew Wiggins is a huge piece. Obviously, he was the best uh, uh, player on the floor last night. However, he has been very fantastic. Now, I'm not one of those people that believe that uh, he has uh, usurped Steph, Steph Curry. In the, MV, in the finals MVP conversation. If the finals was over today, it would still be Steph Curry to me as the finals MVP. But you need someone in that conversation like an Andrew Wiggins playing at the type of level that he's playing right now uh, to, to, to really help in the win column and really help get to this point. He's been vital and, and very impactful on the winning column for, for this team. And last night was a, was a big case. Game six is going to be huge. Game, and if, if it's a game seven, game seven is going to be huge as well in determining that. But the Golden State Warriors, are their championship pedigree is showing in every facet of the game. And right now, the, the way that this Boston Celtics team was willing and relentless, their physicality was wearing on teams, it's not wearing on this Warriors team because of that depth. And you're, you're starting to see it more so in game five. When Steph doesn't go, that doesn't have a crazy game, doesn't go off, and they still find a way to get it done. Uh, because of that depth and how scary they are, this is this is uh, this is, this is dangerous territories for the Boston Celtics, and uh, right now they look a bit rattled. If, if I if I must say, yeah, this is probably the first game out of the series that I can say that th- this this looked like a team that hadn't been here. Mm-hmm. Talk about that championship uh, DNA, like other sports, and 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 in this series, not been sure how much you've been uh, watching it. Um, you, you know what Golden State is all about, and you know what Steph Curry is all about, but you just knew it sooner or later that it would take it would take advantage. Yeah. yeah, and you know I see a lot of similarities between the NBA Finals and, in particular, Golden State and and, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. They know how to win. They know how to win championships. Um, this core has won three titles, and uh, as Mike mentioned. Steph Curry went 0 for 9 in three-pointers in Game 5, ending his streak of hitting at least one three-pointer in 233 straight games. So he didn't he didn't hit a three-pointer, yet the team won. All I have to say is 
that equals bad news for Boston. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that 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 does, and 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 I, I think that there has to go with some blame here, Mike. Um, mm-hmm. Where do we start for Boston? Is it Jason Tatum? Is it coaching? Is it is it um, you know the inability for you know the 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 other guys? You know, Jalen Brown had a bad game, or is it just? adjustments that the Golden State Warriors have done. What's your thoughts on that? To me, it's a combination of all that. You could sprinkle blame in a couple of different places as far as the Boston Celtics are concerned. I'll start with Ime Udoka. There were some questionable timeouts that he took early in the game that I think wrecked some momentum, that, that I think, um, and then not early in the game, it was, it, was some time, it was some questionable timeouts that he took throughout the game that I think may have wrecked some momentum or, or, or just, just were questionable at the time. And also the, the technical foul that he picked up that was the first time I saw him really get rattled and, and really um, uh, uh, cause his team at the wrong time. So uh, he made you doker and certain sets that he had as far as not to let his brothers know to get up on those screens with Clay and stuff. I do think it was some uh, so, so, some mismanaging uh, on that side as far as concerned and not being able to contain or, or, or pay attention to the flow of the game when Wiggins is getting going the way he is, not making the necessary adjustments to get on that. So uh, I do think Udoka deserves some blame in that aspect. Jalen Brown as well to me because Jalen Brown reverted back to the same problems that we saw early on in the past, dribbling too much in the traffic against this Warriors defense with length. And that was one of the biggest problems. And one of the biggest reasons why he struggled, along with the Dray- Draymond Green being on him most of the time. But there's blame that can go all, all around. I mean, I think Steve Kerr definitely adjusted well to the, the double teams that Steph was getting and making sure that he got the ball out. I, I give a lot of credit to Steph in that, in that never gone because a lot of superstars, how many do we know, would have tried to jack up shots to get their guys to get, get their shot going. He's one of the most selfish superstars we've ever seen, getting other guys going, and the others looked out for him. And um, I, I do believe as, as much blame as we can put on the Celtics, the Warriors definitely had a lot to do with that, and you have to give them credit for what, what we saw. Larry here, uh, quickly before we go to our next segment here. Um, Boston's down 3-2. We know they're the inexperienced team. There's a lot to blame. This is a team that holds their hat on defense. Can this be salvaged? Can this series be salvaged? Can can we see Boston come back from a 3-2 deficit? Or do you suspect that either Golden State will, uh, uh, you know, hoist their second, seventh, excuse me, NBA title either Thursday or Sunday at home? I, I do think it's it's possible for Boston to come back in the series. And, and and I think game six, you know, being at home in Boston, that that's that arena, just like Golden State's arena, is an incredible advantage for 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 the home court, uh, for the home team, in this case, the Celtics. So yeah, I mean it's uh, a- anything is possible. Um borrow, <laughs> borrowing a line from uh from Kevin Garnett. Um, but uh yeah, I mean I think Golden State's gonna win the series. But I wouldn't be surprised if if Boston pulls out Game Six, especially in front of the home crowd and because of that home crowd. You have, you have to get your popcorn ready for Game Six. The, the Warriors understand that they're going to get the best version of the Boston Celtics on Thursday. So, and, and the Warriors also know that they don't even want to play with fire and bring this series back to Game Seven in Golden State. Well, why even play with fire when you can when you can end it on the road? So, they both both guys both teams are going to give their best version, but the Warriors know that they're going to get the best from the Celtics. So they might as well go down there and go out there and everybody who. The, the only the only fly in the ointment for as far as Boston is concerned is that Steph Curry when when 
when he has a subpar performance, he comes back with a vengeance. Mm. I mean, yeah. he was he was seven for twenty two in, in in game five, and like I mentioned, zero of nine from three point range, um, sixteen points. Definitely a subpar game for for Steph Curry. I would not want to be Boston in that regard. <laughs> yeah, and, I, I think and there's also the narrative of Game Six Clay as well. So, <laughs> yeah, that's 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 another thing there as well. Quickly before we go to a, a, a segment that we love, Larry, talk about Steph Curry. Um, I'm not sure if this is a guy that you've had the opportunity to meet or to interact or interview, but um, him by far, we know how great he is, an all-time great, the greatest shooter that you know perhaps God has ever molded. But for how polarizing he is, um, talk to me about either if you've had a conversation with him or not. What do you see he is from his demeanor off the court and how he is as a player, um, you know, for what he does on the hardwood and off the hardwood? And talk about his impact, longevity when we talk about NBA history. Yeah, I, I, I haven't interviewed him, but I have covered finals that he's been a part of. And the thing that sticks out to me is his confidence. You know, you see it in practice. You see these, you know, crazy shots from the tunnel that he makes, every, you know, all the time. I would love to have that power, by the way. You know, being able to shoot a basketball from virtually any place, you know, in the arena and, and have it, have it, uh, you know, go in kind of like, uh, you know, Larry Bird on the, on the uh, McDonald's commercials way back when mm-hmm. it's an incredible feeling of power, I would imagine. But um, that ability that he has to score, you know, either via driving the lane and having a teardrop fall, fall in or hitting a three or pulling up from, you know, one or two steps, um, you know, into the offensive zone, crossing midcourt. He has that confidence, and I think confidence is so vitally important. It, he, he knows the, the, the magnitude of the moment, but it doesn't get to him. And, and on top of that, as Mike mentioned, Andrew Wiggins, where has this guy come from? He played in anonymity with the Minnesota Timberwolves for so many years. He, he's another one that can really take a lot of the load off of Steph Curry and, of course, Clay Thompson and, um, you know, and Jordan Poole as well. But um, I, I think Golden State is is in a tremendous position here because I do think Curry's going to explode. But even if he doesn't, there are he's got some supporting cast that is really um, you know has all the makings of being able to step up and and to bring this championship home to uh, to Golden State. Larry, Larry, when you think about, uh, I'm so glad you brought up Andrew Wiggins again because I wanted to touch on his defense so far in this series against Jason Tatum. Everybody's looking for that breakout game for Jason Tatum to have in this series. And one of the major reasons why he hasn't had that breakout game is because the majority of the time has been defended by Andrew Wiggins. That size and that length and that ability to stay in front of him and make it tough for him on shots, that's been huge. Do you see the potential of a breakout game with the the way the uh, Warriors are defending him with Andrew Wiggins? Yeah, I mean, again, um, I, I think Andrew Wiggins deserves a ton of credit. Um, he was, um, you know, I, I would say one, you know, considered a one-dimensional player in, in Minnesota, you know, a, a scorer of the highest magnitude. Mm-hmm. And um, he's really, you know, evolved. His game has really evolved into being, a, a, you know, a strong defender as well. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. I, I, I don't know what, what's going to transpire in, in the next game. If, if, if I did, I would, uh, 
I'd be rich probably. Um, but um, it's going to be a very interesting matchup. I think that's a tremendous matchup. And we'll see. We'll see what, what these Celtics, what the stars of the Celtics, you know, Tatum and Brown, you know, w- what they have. And, and it's definitely going to be a gut check. And um, one thing for sure, it's going to be great theater. It's going to be can't miss television. And uh, I'm definitely excited to see it. No doubt. No doubt there for sure. This is actually, Larry, one of our favorite times um, on the episodes. We do this for all of our um, guests, especially our first time guests where we kind of, you know, spearhead our focus away from sports and and, and what you do and just kind of get to know who you are as a person. So we play this fun game that's called this or that or we play um, overrated or underrated. And uh, and so I'm going to go ahead ahead and let Mike start this off with. All right, Larry. Over, overrated or underrated? New York City nightlife. I'm sorry, New York City? Nightlife. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, considering I'm uh, north of 50 <laughs> with, with the wife and kid at home, um, how about N, N slash A? Not applicable. I have no idea. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. That, mean, that means you must have been partying in your younger life, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah so, something like that. Yeah. It's understood. Don't need to be explained. We good, Larry. <laughs> so, so this is one I've always wanted to ask, Larry, and, and maybe I'll, I'll get a chance for you. And, and, and you're a guy that's in the trenches on the sidelines, and you're probably the best person to ask this question. This or that? Kevin Harlan as a broadcaster, a broadcast announcer, or Mike Breen as a broadcast announcer? Okay. I I, I am going to tell you, um, I I like them both. I think they're great. But I have to tell you, when I started working for the NBA back in 1993, I was a logger, meaning the game tapes would come in from all the different arenas with the home announcer, and I would have to log the highlights, the time codes, into the computer. So one of the teams that I got, you know, that I logged for was the Minnesota Timberwolves and Kevin Harlan was their announcer. It was incredible. He reminded me of Larry Hirsch, the the devil's announcer that, that I spoke about earlier. He was so excitable and so energetic and he would interject him singing in, in the broadcasts and, and just listening to him announce Isaiah Ryder dunks and um, one of the most underrated dunkers that, that, that I've seen in the past 30 years, Doug West, who went to uh, Villanova and um, is now coaching high school in, in Pennsylvania. Just hearing Kevin Harlan announce them and say, you know, flight five, you are cleared for a liftoff, you know, and, and just going through his, uh, his routine of broadcasting. I loved him. I loved him. He had a tremendous voice. It kind of reminded me of if you listen to the old reels of horse racing back in the 40s and 50s of the, the track announcer. And, and you know, that, that, that was the feeling that I had listening to that. So I've listened to Kevin Harlan for, for a long period of time, and, and I'm a huge fan uh, of his. But I also like Mike Breen. So um, I'm going to go with Kevin Harlan. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, this, this was that on camera or off camera in the media for, for for me personally. Yes. Um, on camera. Okay. 
I'm just, I'm just being honest, Mike. Just being I, honest. I hear that. How, how about this? Um, uh, uh, I don't know if you do this, but I will go ahead and throw out there. Um, uh, smoking a cigarette or smoking a cigar? I've never had either in my life. Wow. Wow. Really? Being I've around my Gordon always with a pipe and a cigar next to him. I never thought you've never done it. Never had a cup of coffee in my life either. Wow, man. I, like that. I, that. I, do, I do have other vices. Um, chicken, hot dogs, <laughs> hamburgers. <laughs> I could go on if you if you want. But but no, I've I've never smoked. Gotcha. Oh, gotcha, gotcha there. Um, this or that, would you have rather have a house built beachfront or a house on a hill? Beachfront. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt about that. Good. Would you would you rather would you rather as far from an NBA fan perspective? Would you rather an NBA big uh, big three or or a couple or, or or like it is now roughly with, with big like big two as far as you know, you know two stars on the team and stuff like that? Chemistry. Chemistry is mm-hmm. the, the most important thing, be it two players, be it three players. They have to fit and they have to have complementary skills, you know, not only on the court, but off the court in terms of interacting with each other and being able to lead. So I would say that, I guess, you know, two, two is pro- you probably get that more yeah. um, with two, two players as opposed to three. But, but again, it's, it's, it comes down to chemistry. Um, here's the interesting one that, that, that maybe you'll like here. Um, overrated or underrated? Um, there's a lot of talks that Mr. Connor McDavid is getting uh, Sid the Kid comparisons. Uh, he's getting, you know, O.V. Ovechkin comparisons as an all-time great. So where he's at at this point, Connor McDavid, all-time great, overrated or underrated? Underrated. Wow. The, the guy's phenomenal. He's absolutely phenomenal. He's, he's the best player in the NHL. His, ski, his speed is, is unparalleled. Um, I'm a little surprised he hasn't won more, a little bit more than he has, but uh, I, I would say underrated um, or, or rated right, right where he belongs, one, one of those two. I wouldn't say he's vastly underrated or anything like that, but he, he is a tremendous talent. And if you look at the first round of the NHL playoffs, he and Dreisaitl were, 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 were lighting the lamp at a, at a crazy pace. So, um, you know, I would say either right where he belongs or underrated. Mm. Go ahead, Mike. Listen to that. NHL Stanley Cup Series World of Game 7 or a uh, a World Series Game 7? As far as which one would you like to uh, – would you rather attend? Wow. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a really good That's question. Tough. You got who's playing? <laughs> yeah, your, your your favorite team in both sports is playing. <laughs> can, can I pass that one to Sebi? Sure can. You can. All right, sure, I'll pass. You can sure. You should. You can sure pass that. Well, <laughs> uh, it, it it was a pleasure to have you on and spend some time with us here today. Um, you know, just to enlighten us and and and, and share your journey. Give us some advice to some of the the newcomers, some of our listeners and our viewers that are up and coming journalists or or, or, or reporters, moderators in the industry and, and sharing your story about 
uh, where you come from and, and, and where you're at today. So it was a pleasure. But before you leave, we would love to have the pleasure, just in case if anyone wants to connect or want to be able to uh, reach out to you for any more advice, please tell some of the listeners where they can find you. Um, sure. And, and uh, first, let me add, it was an honor and a pleasure to, to, to speak to you guys. I really enjoyed it. Um, link, LinkedIn and Facebook. I, I don't have a website. Um, so the best way is to um, just do a search on LinkedIn. Larry Berger, senior producer, USA Today Sports. And um, I'm on Facebook as well. So um, those are the best ways to reach me. And I'm always happy to answer any questions or, you know, j- j- just chat about the industry. So I'm uh, happy to do that. So LinkedIn and Facebook are probably the two best ways to get in contact with me. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt about that there for sure. It was a pleasure to have you uh, on here as well. And that actually wraps up our our. Uh, conversation here today uh, before we leave as of course we got to do our close arguments with Mike and then we'll take that for moving forward go ahead Mike yeah we talked about it a little bit earlier in the NBA segment but I wanted to uh, hop on and, and, and definitely uh, uh, shed even more light on Andrew Wiggins Andrew Wiggins uh, for, uh, a lot of people don't remember was the number one overall pick you know coming out of Kansas um, he, he was an exceptional basketball player, almost sides of the ball. Didn't have the best thing in Minnesota. And to me, his run right now with Golden State is something that I think highlights. I, I think we see a lot of in the NBA. I, I don't think we get the opportunity to see it because a lot of times players in Andrew Wiggins' situation that he wasn't in Minnesota don't get the opportunity to get traded to a championship contender. So we may, we may forget about him. However, Andrew Wiggins was an opportunity where he got traded to a contending team in Golden State and seeing the system and role that he's playing and he's flourishing in it. And he's becoming, and not even just flourishing in his role, he's becoming a major X factor for this team, for this Golden State Warriors team. And whether they win the championship or not, I want to give, give Andrew Wiggins his flowers right now and let him know that it wasn't. For the most part, it wasn't him in the in the situation. Sometimes those top players uh, need somebody coming into the league. They need an OG on the team. Sometimes you need that that, that someone that he may not have a lot of playing time, but he has a lot of experience in the NBA outside of the coaching staff, and that's able to garner the troops and gather everybody in and get them prepared on a day to day basis and keep them sharp. Minnesota, in my opinion, during that run, didn't have that. Outside of Jimmy Butler, they didn't have that, that, that person. And when Jimmy Butler came on the scene, the young players weren't able to respond in the way that they were because they weren't ready for that moment. They didn't respond the right way. So to me, they like oh, OG presence in that locker room to be able to garner those younger guys and garner all that young talent that they had. Andrew Wiggins was still someone putting up 25, 30, 40 points a game and playing solid defense, but you would never see um, shown on the bigger spotlight because him playing with that team. And it, the wins never showed. But now that he's on a winning team and a winning system, you're seeing the value and the impact that he has in the NBA at the highest level. And they're one win away from the championship. And whether they win or not, I wanted to end this segment by saying Andrew Wiggins, the uh, the way he's playing, he's playing exceptional. I'm proud of his game right now, where his confidence, where he is right now. And uh, I hope they are. I hope he, for his sake, I hope he is able to capture a championship, if not this year, at some point in his career. Because how many players do we know about Sebi, Larry, 
that had to had a seven year career the way Andrew Wiggins did in Minnesota, or a six year career the way he did in Minnesota, and they never got the opportunity uh, like he did, and we never heard of them again. You know, some somehow, some way, after a couple of years, their, their their career was done. Andrew Wiggins got an, an opportunity on a winning team to make it happen, and now he's he's literally changing the narrative about his career as we speak. Hats off, Andrew. Wiggins. Yeah, definitely there for sure. That really goes to show you that it's about fit and it's about work ethic and continue to work sooner or later, depending on what or wherever you go, it will pay off. Uh, that wraps up for all of us today. Again, pleasure to have you on, uh, Larry, with us. And Mike, this is season four, episode 16, and we'll see you guys next time. Hey everyone, we're excited just as much as you guys tonight if you enjoyed this show and frankly even some of our other episodes as well. If you want to show your appreciation for the show, ensure that you leave us a rating and a review in our iTunes and Spotify. And remember, you can stay locked in here and connected. Sebupodcast.info link for the latest news, articles, interviews, and much more. And remember, wherever you're listening on air or online, the Sebi Podcast is wherever you go.